Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sporting Dog Talk podcast. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. Today's episode is brought to you by Lucky Duck. I've been singing the praises of the Lucky Kennel since last year when I got my hands on it. It's just an awesome product. It's lightweight. It is bomb-proof. And it is a great idea for anyone who might be picking up a puppy this spring and traveling around with that dog, or you just want a place for that dog to be safe in the house. Um, Really, really nice kennels. They have a whole bunch of other stuff too. You know, they've got predator hunting products. They've got a, a really comprehensive line of duck decoys and some blinds. Lots of good stuff at Lucky Duck. If you want to see what they have to offer, go to luckyduck.com. If you're going to buy something, punch in the code LUCKY10. They're going to give you 10% off your order. This episode is also brought to you by Canine Athlete. If you have an aging dog like I do, but still gets after it, training, hunting, whatever, check out New Dog. They're three-in-one supplement that it helps reduce daily pain, accelerate recovery after workouts, and it just gives your dog a quality of life boost. They also have the new Canine Pro Daily Probiotic for digestive and immune health. Uh, the, The research going into gut health and the gut microbiome, not only for humans, but for dogs, is pretty incredible. We're learning how important it is to maintain that system. You can do that for your dog with uh, the Canine Pro Daily Probiotic. If you want to check that out, you want to buy something else from them, go to canineathlete.com. That's K, letter K, number nine, athlete.com. Use the code SDT20. They're going to give you 20% off your first order. This episode is also brought to you by Purina. Whether you're in the market for wet food, you want some kind of dry food, kibble formulated for a puppy, which you might be picking up this spring like I am, or maybe you've got an older dog that needs a senior dog formula, Purina has you covered. Their lineup is awesome. And I wanted to work with Purina. I'm so I'm so glad that they partnered with us on this because I fed my dogs Purina for a long time. And I know how dedicated this company is to conservation. And they, they do a lot of really good things and they make awesome dog food. So check them out if you're uh, if you're looking for something to feed your dog that's going to really, really give your dog a nice boost throughout its life. My guest today is Christian Fritz. We had him on one of our original episodes. He's the guy who trains dogs to find endangered sea turtles nests down in Texas. We covered that pretty well in the last episode, so I didn't want to get into that on this one, but I wanted to talk to him because he's got... Uh, a deaf dog and a deaf and blind dog. And I had a conversation with him and he was starting to tell me how the, specifically the deaf and blind dog operates in the environment, how it interacts with people and obstacles and and how it works through life being deprived of those two senses and, and, and largely just operating off its nose. So interesting. It really, it really makes you think about how, how, advanced our dog's senses are and how they're using them all the time in ways we probably can't really understand whether you're just training whether you're out for a walk or you're hunting roosters somewhere so much interesting stuff here christian has he's he's just a fascinating guy and i i absolutely loved talking to him um one this was one of my favorite episodes to record ever As always, thank you so much for listening. There's a lot of dog podcasts out there. There's a lot of content competing for your time so that you go and listen to Sporting Dog Talk really means something to us. 
I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And if you want to fly the Sporting Dog Talk colors, you want a shirt, you want a hat, something like that, we do have a store at our site. We're working on getting some some more stuff thrown up there. I'm not sure when it's going to be, but it's coming. But anything anything there, any way that you can support us is, is so greatly appreciated. So thank you for everything. Come here, bear. Hunt dead, bear. Hunt dead. That dog is family. Do something with a dog, it, it improves your overall quality of life. But girl. Hey, buddy, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be back. Appreciate you having me again. I, uh, I've been thinking about you for a while because I, I see some of the posts that you put up on social media and it, there, there were a lot of reasons I wanted to talk to you. Anybody, anybody who started listening to this podcast, you were on one of the original episodes and you do some really cool conservation work with dogs that we'll get into a little bit, but your, your training, you're working with some dogs right now. You've got some dogs in your house that are unconventional dogs that can teach us something. And I, I want to get into that. So how does a guy end up not only with one deaf dog, but end up with a dog that's both deaf and blind? So we we started out with the deaf dog. And um, my girlfriend, uh, all through high school, learned sign language. And she went to a Catholic school. So she learned, you know, she was the the sign language person for for mass and things like that. So she was very big into sign language for a long time. Um, and, and, And therefore, that got her into... Um, you know, learning about the deaf community and things like that. And, and so we got her a toy Australian Shepherd um, about six years ago. And um, as she was, you know, exploring all the, the Facebook pages and learning about Australian Shepherds, she learned about uh, what they call a double Merrill. So her, her, her first Aussie, Grim, um, is a red Merrill. And there's red Merrills and there are blue Merrills. And Merrills... Are, are, are very attractive dogs. People really like them. They're very pretty. And so some breeders that either don't know any better or are bad people um, will actually breed two Merrells together. And the reason that's bad is when you breed two Merrells together, each puppy has a 25% chance of uh, getting that Merrell gene twice. And if they're a double Merrell, they almost always come out deaf, blind, or both. And a lot of times those puppies are culled, right? They just, they, they just kill them. In fact, um, I'll get to Andre in a little bit, but that's Andre was brought to the vet at like eight weeks old to be put down because he's a garbage dog because he's deaf and blind. So this is a genetic thing. And, you know, these people who are breeding these dogs because they look good and they're popular because they're aesthetics, um, you know, they, if they have a litter of 10 dogs, they might have two or three in there that have, that are either blind or deaf or both. Yep. Wow. And some people make that decision. They consciously make that decision. And I personally think that's a terrible, terrible thing to do. You know, there are people, like I said, that, that mess up. Um, they have two Merrells and they get together and they didn't know, you know, that, that it was going to happen or they didn't do their research, which, you know, I mean, we want to definitely get the word out on this. Um, and there's a couple of good uh, Facebook pages and sites and stuff that talk about this. Deaf Dogs Rock does a little bit. Um, but primarily like a Keller's cause is one that, that, that specifically goes out and, and talks about this, this double Merrill problem. Um, and tries to educate people and they also do rescues and things like that. But, um, anyhow, we, so my girlfriend, 
started learning about these these double merrills and uh, was interested in potentially getting a deaf dog so she could train her deaf dog with sign language. Uh, it sounded like, you know, an interesting prospect for her. Um, and so we were following Deaf Dogs Rock. We started following Keller's Cause. We started following um, uh, Braille, the double Merrill Aussie, um, all on Facebook. Um, and one day on Deaf Dogs Rock, they posted a picture of the absolute most adorable Australian Shepherd that anybody has ever seen ever in fact uh somebody told us that it was the most shared picture that they ever had on that page and it turned out the dog was about 45 minutes up the road in austin um we got hold of the uh, of, of the lady who currently had the dog she had rescued it from uh, a bad situation the dog did the people as i understand it the people bought the dog because australian shepherds are smart and they'll train themselves didn't realize <laughs> deaf yeah, I know. Didn't realize she was deaf, so that made training even harder. And so she basically got left in the garage a lot with the cats, um, which was funny because she, I mean, she's a, a toy Australian Shepherd too, so she weighs 10 pounds. So she's basically a cat. Uh, she does very cat-like things. Um, but uh, so this lady rescued this dog from from a, a less than ideal situation. Uh, and um, like the dog was like wanted to keep the dog, but she recognized like, you know, she's like, I, I just don't have the, um, I don't have the time. I don't have, um, the, 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 the training to really give this dog what this dog needs. Um, and so she posted the dog on, on deaf dogs rock. We contacted her, drove up there. Um, we got along great with her. Caitlin immediately, my girlfriend immediately fell in love with the dog. Uh, Callie is the dog's name, Callie, and she is a, a, a blue Merrill. We think she's we think she's just a blue Merrill that happens to be deaf and not actually a double Merrill because she's got the regular coloring. Normally, a, a double Merrill is, is almost all white. We'll have some patches of color, but they're almost always all white. Uh, and Callie has a lot more blue color than uh, than you would expect in a double Merrill. Anyhow, we ended up um, getting Callie. It didn't it didn't happen at first. It was kind of fun. Her gotcha day actually was just the other day. Um, and if you look on our, uh, the cancer for conservation, uh, page from two years ago, you can see the video, Caitlin, like we went and met the dog and then it was kind of a back and forth. Like she was like, well, you know, I really want to keep the dog, but let me, let, let me see if I can, if I can keep her. And if not, then you can have her. And like a month went by with kind of radio silence. And then she messaged me and was like, Hey, um, I, I've decided that I need to give her up. It's the best thing for the dog. Um, do you want to come get her? And I was like, you know, yeah. So I, I, I told Caitlin, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go, uh, on, on a, on a fishing trip on Saturday. Uh, we're, we're going to go fit. I'm going to go fishing because she doesn't like to go fishing. So I knew she wasn't going to come. So like, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to get up early, at like six o'clock in the morning and drive up and go fishing. I'll be back a little later. And so, uh, I left, I went, I got Callie, um, you know, I took her to uh, the pet store and I got her a little collar and stuff and a little leash. Um, we stopped off at Starbucks for some, you know, cappuccino. Uh, and then I brought her home and I have video of Caitlin coming around the corner and Callie's in the back of the truck. Uh, and it's it's super cute. Um, the, she, Caitlin was instantly in love with Callie. Um, Callie at first liked me a little better, probably because I took her for a puppuccino. But that lasted about two days. 
Uh, and that, and from then on, she has absolutely been Caitlin's dog. Um, they are basically inseparable. Um, and in fact, Caitlin, uh, we, we, we trained Callie to be Caitlin's, uh, service dog. So, um, she, she does medical alert for Caitlin, uh, uh, which is awesome. And being a deaf dog in this case is actually quite helpful. Like the training is a little bit different. You know, obviously I can't give verbal commands, so you have to give hand commands, uh, and training the dog to pay attention to you is a lot more, a lot more, uh, important, um, because, you know, if they're, if she just, she doesn't want to listen, she just doesn't look at you. How do you get her to do that then? Cause that, that's such an, such an important part of working with a dog is get their attention yeah. and then issue a command. How do you do that with a dog that can't hear you? So there's a couple of ways you can do it. The, the most, the, like the simplest way, uh, and this is what I do with all my dogs. Anyhow, uh, hearing whatever I want the dog to pay attention to me. So We'll go to Starbucks or we'll go somewhere and I'll get some, some very high value treats, puppuccino or some 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 steak or chicken or something the dog's really going to like. And, uh, and I'm not going to say anything, but every time the dog looks looks at my face, I'm going to mark it and give him a treat. And very, very quickly, especially the smart dogs like the Aussies, who do in fact require some training, but they do train fast, um, they very quickly realize Every time I look at this guy's eyes, he gives me a treat and they start focusing on your eyes and you do that a bunch. And the dog learns that focusing on you is good, right? They, they, they make that association between looking at your face, the marker and the treat, and they all kind of lump it together. And so they're much more likely to look at you now. If you want to get a dog's attention, uh, one of the things you can do with a deaf dog, uh, and it's, it's, it's valuable actually for deaf dogs and blind dogs and deaf blind dogs, is, uh, you know, e-callers sometimes get a really bad rap uh, because a lot of people don't know how to use them properly. But a lot of e-callers come with a vibrate, right? And so if the dog is off-leash running around, but I hit the vi- vibrate button, it's just like a poke, like, hey, you know, the dog goes, oh, yep, I'm supposed to look at you. And they look at me and I can say, come here or sit or, or whatever, right? I can give them some, some hand command. And so that's a really valuable tool to use that collar to reinforce the dog what you want it to do. You can train the dog to do different things for different uh, different vibrations because, uh, again, they're smart. So, I mean, that, that I, I was thinking about this. I mean, that, it never occurred to me that that would be such a – that's such a simple, obvious way to use an e-collar. Um, yeah. No, I just never thought about it. Um, I want to back up one second here. I was going to ask you before. So th- this genetic condition that can result, you know, you take some inbreeding, um, you end up with deafness, blindness, or both. Are, is this is this sort of endemic to Australian Shepherds, or do you see this? Is this out there in the, the wide world of dogs with more breeds than that? Yeah, it's actually in, in quite a few breeds, um, and it's not it's not inbreeding. It's not it's not necessarily you know, within the, within a litter or, you know, a father and a daughter or whatever, it's just, you can have two completely unrelated dogs that are both carrying the Merrill gene and their pup Got it. will have a 25% chance. So, um, yeah, it's not actually to do with inbreeding. It's just the, 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 the Merrill gene and there are border collies that are Merrill's dachshunds that are Merrill's. Um, so, so these, this, this is an endemic just to the Australian shepherds. This is a genetic condition that can result from, uh, from a lot of different dogs or, or at least more breeds than that. So something to pay attention to, uh, you know, good breeding is something we, we preach all the time on here anyway. Um, I have one question. I'm, I'm at a disconnect here about the process for you guys getting this deaf dog. Um, the, 
the woman that you got this from is not the woman who originally had this, the dog believing it was self-training, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. There was, there was uh she, the lady that we got the dog from actually rescued her from a situation that she was introduced to. She, you know, knew, knew, knew this person who owned the dog and was like, Hey, why don't you let me take this dog for you? Um, since it's not living a very good life, you know, in the garage with the cats. Yeah. So, the, so that dog was, the quality of life was bad and it was yeah. a high, a, a likely candidate to end up in a shelter. Somebody who knows better about placing dogs saw this, made a, an emotional appeal, got control of it, moved it into your world. You guys saw it. You surprised your girlfriend with it, taught it all this good stuff. And uh, you said, you know, having the dogs we have is not enough. Having this this deaf dog is not enough. Well, let's go find a blind and deaf dog. Is that how that conversation went? Basically, yeah, yeah. How, so, how'd you uh, end up there? We had such a good experience with Callie. Um, you know, it, it was fun learning how to train her. It was fun, uh, you know, learning new stuff and working with her. And she's a great dog. Uh, and so, I was thinking, you know, a dog that's got less you know, visual sense or audio sense might have a better nose, right? Cause you talk to, you know, deaf or blind people or both. And a lot of times, like there's a study they did uh, with Braille and they had people like artificially blind themselves for months. And they wanted to see how long it took them to be able to feel Braille, to be able to read Braille. And after several months of being blind, they were finally able to, to, to pick up and read Braille. Cause if I run my fingers over Braille, it just feels like some bumps, you know, and to be able to like, you know, run your finger along and have to be able to determine, you know, a couple of dots difference, uh, is, is really impressive. And so they learned that losing this, the eyesight was making their, their sense of, uh, of, of feel better. Um, and then when they gave them their sight back, they actually rapidly lost the ability to feel which was kind of cool. Um, so they couldn't read Braille anymore once they, uh, once, once they got their sight back after a certain period. So along those lines, I thought, you know, well, I wonder if a dog that's deaf or blind or both is going to be better at scenting things. And, you know, sea turtles are really hard. Sea turtle nests are really hard to smell. They're, they're, they're a very difficult target to go after. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, Maybe it would be useful. Uh, we could find a dog that's, you know, high energy because Aussies and Border Collies and all these dogs are very high energy dogs. And then they're deaf and blind. And so people, you know, it's harder to train them. And so it's going to be even more difficult for, uh, for, for a dog to find a good home. And I was like, all right, well, you know, we'll keep our eyes open. And if we see a dog that, that might work out, we can do this. So this, this wasn't a decision you made because you're like, oh, we love this deaf dog so much. Let's go find another dog that might not be very easy to put in a good home and adopt it. You're like, this sucker's going to be a turtle nest finding fool. If it, it, <laughs> it was both. Okay. <laughs> it was and, both. And, and so we should probably explain that quick. Um, it, this is way easier to, to grasp if you go back and listen to the last episode we did together, which I think was like episode number 13 or something. Um, but, but you work with canines for conservation and you train dogs to find endangered sea turtle nests down there on the, on the beaches in Texas to, uh, to help incubate these eggs and, and help the population along. Correct. And yeah. you thought, you thought a dog that's got a super sniffer is going to be, <laughs> that's going to be the ticket. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was hoping for. And so we, we saw a picture I, I, I saw Caitlin wasn't involved in this. Um, 
I mean, she was a little, she knew that I was thinking about it, but, uh, I saw a picture of Andre and I was like, oh, he's, you know, he's cute. He's in Houston. So he's a little far away. Um, it's about a three, three and a half hour drive. And, um, so I sent the, I sent the, uh, the people who was on Def Dogs Rock again, I think, uh, sent the people a message. I was like, Hey, you know, um, what's his drive like? And, um, there were, um, they're primarily Spanish speaking. And so there were some, some linguistic issues there. And they were like, look, do you want to like, how about, how about we, you know, we, we, come down to Corpus Christi and you meet us at Corpus Christi and you can meet the dog. And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. So I was actually down, um, looking for turtles. I was actually, it was one of the, one of the times I was down there, um, actively, um, working dogs for, for the turtle nest. And, uh, I, I, I drove up from North Padre to Corpus, which is only an hour, which was nice. Um, and, uh, I met Andre and he's adorable. He's like a pure white, uh, border collie and uh, I talked to the talked to the people and they said that um, he was dropped off at the vet at like eight weeks old because he's deaf and blind and therefore garbage um, and these people didn't want him they're like well he's not he's not worth anything so just go ahead and euthanize him and uh, the vet techs were like how about we don't and we just take this dog from you and so they took him and he ended up with this uh, with this rescue uh, and they had him for um, probably four or five months we're having trouble finding a home for him because he's deaf and blind. Um, and so, uh, they were pretty excited to, to have me come meet him. So I went out, met him. He's adorable. Uh, very, very friendly. Um, he's probably one of the friendliest dogs I've ever met. Uh, there's nothing that he likes more. Mm, there's one thing he likes more, but there's almost nothing he likes more than meeting new people. Uh, he gets so excited when he meets new people. Um, and he's just a little bundle of joy. He's, he's a very, very happy dog. Like that's one of the things with, with some of these dogs is they can be, um, they can be like really, uh, really shy. They can startle easily. Um, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to move around a whole lot. You know, they're, they're, they're uncomfortable in, 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 uh, new settings. And Andre is none of those things. He loves everybody. Um, he is incredibly confident, um, incredibly resilient. Uh, yeah, he's just, he's, he's just awesome. <laughs> so do, do, has he ever, have you ever been anywhere with him where he's met somebody where he was like, oh, I don't know about this dude, or is it, is it a hundred percent? Never, never. He, everybody he has ever met, he has loved instantly. Um, do you, yeah. do you think, so the reason I asked that is because I'm like, is that dog interpreting like another person's like intentions through scent or like, is that dog reading people in a way that other dogs might not be as, as tuned into or something? So I'm like, I'm wondering if he ever met an asshole and he was like, uh, uh, but everybody's <laughs> ever met. He's like, yeah, this person's cool. I don't introduce him to a lot of assholes. So I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Good call. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I most of the people he's met are like the sea turtle patrollers and stuff like that. Um, I, I, you know, we don't really introduce them around to, to randos a whole lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's possible. It's always possible. You know, I mean, it's, we're, we're, as we learn more and more about, you know, dogs and their ability to set, you know, we just, it, it, it keeps amazing everybody like, wow, they could do this. They can do that. I just found out the other day. Um, there are some dogs, uh, I think it was, um, 
working dogs for conservation that trained uh, dogs to, to to tell if a stream had non-native trout. So yep. you're up in the mountains of the Rockies and you want to know if this is purely cutthroat trout or if there are uh, brook trout that have been brought in. They take the dog and they walk the dog through the middle of the creek and the dog will tell them if there's brook trout. Yep. And I'm like, through the water, like yep. <laughs> it can smell the fish. That's amazing, right? Like, I don't care who you are. That's impressive. So, yeah, it, it's it's always possible the dog is, is able to pick up on different stuff like that. But I think Andre's interactions with people have always been positive, And so he just doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, w- it would be it'd be an interesting experiment with him if he ever did encounter somebody who had bad intentions for somebody around him. Because we've, yeah. we've had uh, protection dog people on here a few times and they've they've talked about that where those dogs after a while when you know you got five people in bite suits lined up and somebody somebody is like instructed to go dark like real dark in their thoughts that dog will hone in on them and you know so i'm I'm just it's just curious to it would it's such a it's such a cool mystery to not know what level he that dog's really operating on right it is and that's Honestly, one of my favorite things about having Andre is 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 peeling back the layers on his world a little bit and, and starting to kind of understand how he does things. Um, you know, the the very first day I got him, so I I went to meet these people and meet meet Andre. I, I was not intending to take him home with me, um, but they were like, "Well, here's his bull and his collar and his leash. Uh, here's some paperwork for his shots. Uh, have a nice day." And I was like, "Oh, oh all right." What, where, what was this, what place was he at? Where was he? Uh, he was, he was at, um, a, a very small rescue, uh, in, in Houston and they brought him out to me and, um, to, to meet. And I was planning on just kind of, you know, meeting him and trying to get a feel for it and then discussing it with my girlfriend. Um, but it didn't quite happen like that. Instead it was like, here you go. And I was like, Oh, okay cool and i got it's, another dog <laughs> it sounds like they saw you coming from a ways away yeah yeah they, so they might have known that dog was going home with you how, how old was it how old was that dog when you picked it up 11 months old he was he was 10 or 11 months old um, um do you do you know are you aware of any kind of socialization efforts with him or anything do you know if there's any reason he's a he's a people lover that they they encouraged i don't i don't know of anything specifically um, but I think just being in, in, in a household where there's a lot of people that like, that like dogs and are, you know, yeah. giving him a good experience and it might just be Andre. He might just naturally really love people. Um, he's pretty ambivalent to dogs for the most part. He plays a little bit, uh, with some of the dogs, um, which is, could be hilarious. Uh, you know, watching your deaf blind dog wrestle other dogs one of my dogs had 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 the cone of shame on um a couple weeks ago and i looked in the backyard and she was wrestling with andre and it was so funny because you know she can't see a whole lot because of the cone and andre can't see at all (laughs) their wrestling was such a cluster (laughs) you know she she'd turn to like grab him and the cone would get in the way and then he'd like charge off into nothing, you know, chomping away <laughs> with his mouth open. And it was just, it was an absolute riot. I was dying. I was just sitting there laughing. Um, but they were having a great time. So who cares? Is he, is he fully, fully blind and fully deaf? 
he's fully deaf. He's not fully blind. He can see uh, light and dark. Uh, in fact, one of the one of the things we do is uh, when we when he goes out at night and we want him to come back in, we flash the lights on and off a couple times, and then you open the door. And if the lights are on in the house, he sees the lit doorway and he homes in on the on the lit doorway. So he does see light and dark, but that's about it. Interesting. So when you when you were going to go look at this dog, you were thinking you were going to turn it into a conservation dog. You were thinking, I'm going to train this dog to find the sea turtle nest. It's going to be a, a awesome tool. What was your plan? Because I, I, I know how it turned out because you told me. But <laughs> what was your plan when you're like, what what were you thinking? Like, I, I have a I have an idea how to train this dog. What was it? Yeah. So. Honestly, uh, most of it, again, is the exact same as training any other dog, right? Um, introduce a stimulus, reward the dog for the stimulus. So I was going to take turtle scent. I was going to have the dog sniff it. And when he sniffs it, reward him. And then you do that a bunch of times. And he starts to associate that, that scent with that reward. And therefore, the scent becomes rewarding in and of itself. Um, I don't know if I said this last time, but... Um, you can watch uh, the dopamine dump <laughs> in a dog uh, by looking at their eyes. Their eyes dilate, just like people when they get high. The dog gets high, it gets that dopamine dump um, from smelling um, their target odor for a detection dog. So like my cadaver dog, if I am looking at her eyes and I introduce some uh, some human remains, you can watch her eyes dilate because she's that I've rewarded her so many times for smelling that scent that she associates that scent with a reward all of its own. So the, the scent becomes rewarding. It's not even just, I'm going to find this and then I'm going to get paid. The scent itself becomes a reward. So um, it's like when you walk by uh, Ben and Jerry's, you know, and you smell the Ben and Jerry's, the door opens up and you're like, oh my God, that smells amazing. I don't have to eat the ice cream. I was already my, my brain dumped some dopamine and was like, that's the good stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So same, same kind of idea. Well, what was your plan though? I, I mean, I, I get the idea of associating uh, that scent with a reward, right? but that dog's got to tell you. So you, you've got to get to that step where that dog can tell you, I smell this and now mm -hmm. I need to let him know. How, how are you going to bridge that gap? Uh, probably with either a, a, a sit or a down, um, okay. probably most likely a down for him. Um, and, and when you're training a, a deaf dog, you can train them by luring them and then giving them hand signals. So I can say, Callie, I want you to sit. And, you know, I, I make this hand gesture and she knows that means to sit. Obviously I can't, I can hand gesture all I want at, at Andre and he doesn't care. Um, so, uh, generally with, with a dog like that, you'll train them by touch. And so a touch on their body in different places equates to a different command. So if I touch the dog on the top of his head, that means I want you to sit. If I touch him or, you know, I touch him on his butt, I want him to sit. If I touch him in the middle of his back, I want him to lay down, whatever. But you, you train the dog that the, a certain touch is what means I want you to do something for me. And so a lot of times I do that. And you can also, again, use that, that e-caller and use that vibrate mode to train them to do different things as well. Uh, that's just, I, I think, an incredible tool. Um, so the idea, again, would be to pair the, the scent with the reward. And then once he starts to find that, that, that scent rewarding, he smells the scent, he goes to it. And instead of immediately getting paid, 
then you tap him on the butt and he sits down and then he gets paid. You tap him on the back and he lays down and then he gets paid. And very quickly they learn, okay, well, I'm going to skip straight to the laying down and not wait for the tap because I want the treat. Yep. So they'll go up, they'll snip it, and they'll automatically lay down. And so that was that was the plan. Um, and because of the way that we work on North Padre, we generally have a small area. I think the biggest area we've ever worked for one problem was probably about an acre. Um, and that's 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 huge for what we do. Normally, we're looking more at like a half or more often probably even just a quarter acre. Um, there's usually tracks or somebody saw a turtle and we've got a pretty good pretty good idea of where the nest could be and we're just trying to help them say yes there is a nest and it's probably in this area and so with andre theoretically i could have him on leash close to me it's not a huge area so i don't need him to range and rove all over the place and i can just get go to the back side of the dunes because the wind's usually coming off the water and just walk through there and when he picks up the scent i'll see a huge change of behavior work him into the scent cone on a, probably a long line and uh and when he gets there he indicates and we pay him. And that was, that was the plan. Um, I still think would have worked, <laughs> but, but <laughs> turns out I said the, 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 the only thing that Andre likes more than meeting new people and getting petted is running on the beach. He absolutely loves to run. Um, every day we let him out in the backyard and he runs circles. There's a big giant mud puddle in my backyard and he's always muddy uh, because he goes and he runs like a, like a NASCAR driver. Like, I just keep, you know, running and running and running in circles and he barks and he spins around and he has a great time, but he knows what his limits are in the yard. He knows, okay, I can, I can go this far, this way and this far that way. And he doesn't run into the fence or anything else. He knows this is my area and he will run laps for hours. So the very first time I took him to the beach, you know, I, I opened the back of the truck. I let him out. You know, the other dogs were all running around, you know, doing whatever. And I let him out and he's kind of. You know, it's a new area. He's never been to the beach before. And it, it was, again, this is one of the, one of the times um, where I started to realize how different he experiences the world. Um, he was behind the truck, but kind of on the barrier of where the, the, the wind is blowing, hitting the truck, and then it's, you know, creating vortices. And you could see him go back and forth along that, that seam. Um, and he was, what he was doing was feeling the wind stop where, where, where it was disturbed. And he knew that where the wind was disturbed, there's something there. He wasn't sure how far away it was maybe, but there's something there. So he would hang out in that wake until he found the truck. And then he knew, okay, there's a, there's a thing here. And then he goes around the truck and he'll start, you know, running and playing and, and doing circles, uh, where he can feel that wind. And, and it was really interesting to watch him map different places using that same technique. Um, the, 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 the sea turtle science and recovery division headquarters. Um, there's a, there's a little, um, field grassy area in front of it and it's surrounded by buildings and a parking lot. And, uh, and there's, um, some storage containers and stuff. And I, I saw the exact same thing later on the wind's blowing and he's catching that seam and he's following that all the way to where the, the, the object is that's blocking the way. Um, and, and that was my first hint. I assumed like I knew, oh, well, he's going to be a great smeller. He is, but I'd never even thought about using the wind and the, and air movement to, 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 to feel where things were. And that was just really, really 
really cool to me. Um, and so the first day on the beach, you know, he's kind of feeling, feeling it out and he didn't get real far, but he felt it out. He started playing with the dogs a little bit. The second time he was a lot more comfortable. And the third time we took him to the beach, he was much more comfortable. You know, he's, we, he gets past, you know, gets around the truck and there's nothing breaking the wind. So he just starts romping around and he gets down to the water and he's like, okay, well there's water here. And he's splashing around in the water a little bit and he starts spinning and running and spinning and running. And he realizes there's nothing on that beach. As long as he's in the water, as, he, as long as he's right along the water, there's nothing to run into. And he just takes off running. And he'll run, 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 and stop and spin around and bark a little bit and run back a little bit and then run back. And he just tears off. And uh, the last time we were at the beach, um, we were work- I had, the, I had the, the, the detection dogs for, for working. And we're cruising down the beach. And we stopped to let the dogs out. And Andre takes off southbound, just, just hauling. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, this it's it was a dead down the beach. Nobody's nobody's out there, so I wasn't real worried. We could see really far. I mean, you see, you know, a mile at least in each direction. So eventually, we're like, okay, it's it's time to go get Andre. So we pile everybody into the car, um, into the truck, and I take off down the beach, and I and I and I set my um, odometer, and we take off, and I followed him for two miles. And he's just, just, I mean, absolutely having the time of his life. The happiest dog you've ever seen in your life going just nuts. Finally, you know, was like, okay, we gotta, we, we gotta stop. So I pull up in front of him and I get out and I didn't want to startle him. So I went upwind of him so that he could smell me. So he gets to where he can smell me. And he stops and he puts his head up and he tears off the other direction. I'm like, you little jerk, <laughs> jump back in the truck. You're not going to chase him the other way. <laughs> and the next time I didn't bother going up when I just went downwind of him and waited. Yeah. <laughs> and they he, was able to grab him. He knew the fun was over. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's like, Oh, fun police and tears off in the direction. So what you said at the beginning there, I mean, it's, it's so one of the reasons I love having kids is you see like unfiltered joy, you know, yeah. like we have so much, we like, as a, we're doing it, we're adulting wrong. Like I'm adulting wrong in a lot of ways, <laughs> but we are doing this wrong. Cause we are like, too like it's too easy for us to like embrace things that are going to cause us anxiety or lean into things that are going to take us the wrong way and kids are just like screw it like this this is aw-. i'm like there's like so, it's so there's such a purity to it i just like it i think about throughout my day when i smile like genuinely smile it's because my daughters are excited about something and i yeah. just see them like full on like holy crap there's a deer track in our yard you know like stuff that i just don't you know i'm way too jaded right. to get into and and hearing about that dog running down the beach finally realizing there's nothing i'm not bumping my nose into anything here i can just yep. go and do you know what a shepherd is going to do which is run um what you said about him playing the wind that so you fish we were we we're talking about this off air have you ever used, have you ever been in a boat and used a boat that has side imaging sonar on it? It's it's big time in the bass and the walleye world now. Uh, I have not. No, uh, we've used them for human remains searches. But. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we started out with depth finders that were so, you know, rudimentary compared to what we have now. And they were down looking, you know, right down yeah. below the boat looking. And then somebody said, why don't we shoot these things to the side and read what, you know, read the rock pile over there and the trees over here. Right. And when you go out there, now you're mapping like this world, mm-hmm. kind of the same way that your dog is where that wind's blowing across something and it hitting a tree. And that dog, in, in, in addition to reading the sense on there, is reading the pattern of that wind to map out the environment. That's amazing. It really is. It's 
like I said, I mean, the way that he experiences the world is so different from anything else that I'm familiar with that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible to watch. Um, I, I went on vacation, um, a year, yearish ago. And, uh, we, we left all the dogs, uh, with one of my friends, one of, one of the other volunteers for Canons for Conservation. She's got two acres, um, in the middle of nowhere. And so she's like, yeah, sure. Just drop them off, you know? And, so we left him there and uh, I was a little worried about, you know, how Andre was going to get around a brand new place. And she said, you know, they, like they, they were in the process of like building uh, some stuff and doing some repairs and improvements. And uh, there was no staircase to go up to the, uh, to the, uh, to the door. There was a ramp and it was about three feet wide <laughs> and it bounced when he walked up and it was, it was pretty rickety. Um, no railings or anything like that. She said, you know, and I was like, concerned i'm concerned about me going up that thing but i was really concerned about andre and she said after two days he knew where basically everything was on the two acre ranch and would go up and down that uh that that narrow gangplank essentially like it was nothing like his his ability to figure out where things are is incredible um do you do you think with that ramps specifically is there like a concentration of scent he's keying off there it could very well be yeah that's that's a distinct possibility um you know he's so talking about the, the, the his scent ability we talked about him feeling the wind and stuff which i think is incredible but um his his scent ability is again something that's that i've never i've never seen before um he sleeps in the most ridiculous positions sometimes. In fact, I just posted a picture of him with his face like up against the uh, the crate the uh, the crate door. Uh, but he sleeps in weird positions like that all the time. And I always want to try to get a picture because it's hilarious and cute. And I almost never can. This it was so rare for me to get this picture, especially the the one where I got pretty close to him, because usually I enter the room and before I can get to him, he wakes up because he knows I'm there. And I don't think I smell that bad, but apparently <laughs> what well, do you, do you think that he's tied into the, you know, a little bit of the perception of the wind changing the door opening? He'll definitely pick up, you know, doors opening and things like that. Um, but I think that this is, this is particularly sent because I could be, you know, wake up in the morning and I'm not opening or closing any doors. I just walk around the corner to where his crate is and I walk in the room and he'll wake up before I get to him. Um, we learned this um, because, like I said, he loves to bark. He can't hear and he can't see, but he loves barking. <laughs> and uh, he, it's, you know, for a long time, at 2 o'clock in the morning, Andre would be running around in circles in the living room, bark, bark, bark. And you're like, oh, bro, we're trying to sleep. And so, you know, you get up and you go over and poke him. If you poke him, he'll, you know, oh, it was, right, right, okay, and he'll settle back down. Um the problem is you can't poke him because the second you walk in the room, oh. he smells you. And so you can't, you know, like interrupt that behavior um, with, with, with anything aside from your presence um, without difficulty. Um, in, in, in a way that kind of conditions him to get his attention <laughs> because you show, right. if he does this certain behavior, you show up and he doesn't have any clue that it's three o'clock in the morning. And that was my, that I was really scared that that was going to happen. And thankfully it did not. And he has gotten better about when it's bedtime, it's bedtime. And 
If you want to bark at six o'clock in the evening and run in circles, that's cool, but just don't do it at three o'clock in the morning. He's, he's figured that out. Um, but I was very concerned that he was going to start to associate, Hey, if I bark at three o'clock in the morning, people come see me. <laughs> it's like, well, no, please. Do, please do no. you know what I like about that? That example there is it's a very obvious, uh, behavior that's not the dog's fault that dog specifically has no idea what time it is he like has right. no way of gauging what time it is so it's doing this behavior that you as a pet owner are not going to be that big of a fan of it doesn't know it's doing something wrong you know right. so you, it would be easy to look at that and get really pissed off and i'm sure it was tough but yeah. there there's so many times dog behavior shows up they don't know they're doing something wrong we just don't like it and right. the, like it's it's really obvious with a dog with a you know that that has the same thing going on that your dog does. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and the important thing there is what I wanted to do was interrupt the dog, not go punish the dog. You yeah. know, if I went in there and beat the dog every time he barked, I would not have the dog that I have, you know, um, he would start to become fearful. He wouldn't want to do things right. And I don't want to, I, I don't want that. I want the dog to be happy and healthy. And so you can correct that behavior even when you're mad because he woke you up at three o'clock in the morning. You know, you walk over and you interrupt the behavior and then you leave him alone. Right. And if he starts barking a couple of minutes later, you go over, you interrupt the behavior and you leave him alone. I don't want to reward him for, for that behavior because uh, I, I want him to stop doing it. And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll poke him just, you know, just a little nudge like a hey to interrupt the behavior. So he stops doing it. And then I back away. And that way, my presence isn't rewarding him. He's just kind of there. Um, and when he does it again, you know, I'll, I'll poke him again, just kind of touch him again. Um, to interrupt that behavior. And, and that way I'm not hurting him. I'm not inflicting any, any pain on him. I'm not making him fearful, uh, but I'm just teaching him that that behavior is going to get inter interrupted. Yep. And I'm not going to sit there and pet him and hang out with him when he does it. I'm just going to poke him and leave him and leave him alone. And that way, you know, he learns the lesson without me having to be mean to him. Um, yeah. or causing him pain or anything like that. Well, with, with a dog like that, are the, are the major concerns, uh, you know, safety wise, obviously, but like, is it little things like fence, like, like barbed wire fence, I think would be a real issue with a dog like that. Um, you know, roads, it, it, like, is it, do, did it make you acutely aware <laughs> of how many freaking <laughs> dangers there are out there? Um, I don't know that it may be more aware of the dangers, um, but it's definitely made me more aware of where Andre is when he's not on a leash. <laughs> um, you know, I'll let the dogs out in the yard in the, in the side yard, which isn't fenced. Um, we're in the front yard every once in a while. Um, and the other dogs know the boundaries. They know not to go on the road. They know, you know, not to go into the neighbor's yard much. <laughs> um, and Andre has no clue. Um, and in fact, um, Andre might have saved one or two of my dog's lives uh, not too long ago. Two of them got into a really, really bad fight. Um, they had been nitpicking at each other for a long time, and uh, they finally just had it. Two females, and they really, really went at it, um, and it was a mess. And I was trying to break them up. Um, they had been at a friend's house, um, at my friend's house, actually, that was watching them for me. Uh, and she was nice and took their collars off to wash them and then forgot to give them to me the day that I picked them up. And so neither dog had a collar. Otherwise, I could have, you know, tried to choke them out or something. 
Uh, but I, me by myself, I couldn't get this 75 pound German shepherd and this, you know, 65 pound Belgian Malinois, 60 pound Belgian Malinois off of each other. And they were just going to town The blood. I mean, it was bad. And, um, while I'm trying to break them up, I stopped paying attention to Andre. He was running around in the yard and he ran out into the middle of the street and started running circles in the middle of the street, just barking and having the time of his life. No idea what's going on. And a car pulled up and stopped because he's literally blocking the entire road. And they're like, what's going on? Why is this dog, you know, and I was able to yell for help and the guy got out and came and helped me separate the other two dogs. Um, but that was a, a really scary moment. And, you know, Andre probably saved at least one of their lives. Um, because it was, it was bad. I mean, that was, that was, that was, that was a real mess. It was very expensive too. Um, it was, do you get them stitched up? I'm guessing. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they, they both, they both needed stitches. They were both shaved down and it was, yeah, they, it was really bad. Like I've, I've had dogs getting a little snits, you know, and like one of them will put a little, put, put, put a little hole in the other one, you know, like just one, one tooth mark or something like that. And it's like, okay, a lesson was learned here today. You know, but this was, this was a real actual fight. It's the first time I've, I've, I've experienced that where, you know, it's not like a, Hey, yell at them and they stop. This was like a a real, real fight, um, which was pretty scary, but, uh, yeah, Andre, you know, unwittingly saved the day. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, yeah, we, I've, I've asked guests many times, you know, trainers, you know, how, how do you break up a fight? And it's a, it's always a dicey one, you know, like you don't want to get your hands in there. And like you said, you know, if you've got dogs that you can't get a hold of on a collar and pull them apart, then, then you're in trouble. And everybody's, you know, everybody I've talked to is like, start whacking them on the ass until they get the, you know, like they get the picture. Yeah. I, well, that's what I was, when you mentioned the two kinds of dogs that you had fighting, I'm like, that ain't going to work. Maybe, (laughs) maybe on labs that's going to work, but. I tried everything I could. And the, the only time I made any, I made any progress in, in breaking them up was, um, my, my, my German shepherd, who I have a very good relationship with, I was able to grab her and I got her, I gave her an out command that I was pulling her off and she actually outed. She spat, she spat the other dog out at which point the other dog was like, ah, cool. We're ganging up and, you know, started biting her in other places. And she was like, I tried bro. And that was it. And, uh, yeah. And, and, had they both been wearing collars, um, I could have choked them off. You know, yeah. at that point I had, I, 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 I could have Hulk strength them. <laughs> there was a lot of adrenaline going on. I, I could have choked them off. Um, and once they were separated, it was e- like, they didn't go right back at it. You know, it was like, once they both stopped, it was easy to get them to separate and go and go a different way. But it was just getting them to, to, to stop was not happening. It was very, very scary. So, yeah. And I, yeah, it was maybe, maybe lasted a minute and I was completely drained. That's a long minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, like my, my hands ached for days afterwards. Um, I basically, once we got the dogs separated, I basically, you know, collapsed next to my truck and couldn't get up for 15 minutes. I was, it was bad. It was yeah. really bad. That's a, that's a, uh, that's one of those moments in life that distills down to very, very a, a small pinprick of a lens to look through. Um, yeah. Let's talk about, so when, when you started taking Andre to the beach and you noticed the pure joy of this dude just out there running, spinning circles, and he's got free reign and he gets to do what shepherds love to do. Um, had you, to that point, like thinking about your training and stuff, had you, had you looked into 
how people communicate, like how we communicate with people who are deafblind? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, a little bit. Like I said, um, you know, my girlfriend's got a lot of experience with sign language and working with deaf community and things like that. So um, that was definitely something that was kind of in my in, in my head, um, working with, uh, with, with with deaf and blind, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, of of the thoughts there. You know, and you can hear like there's you know stories about people doing you know like like echolocation, you know, for blind people that you're know, making noise and they can they can hear yep. the echoes and hear things coming off, you know. And so I I, I know those things, um, but but seeing the dog, the dog's way of doing it was just incredible. Yeah. Well, I I was just curious. I I randomly <clears throat> in a in a very recent conversation when I knew we were going to do this podcast, I was talking to a guy uh, who has a podcast up in in Canada that I've been a ga- uh, guest on. And he just asked me, he's like, oh, who are you interviewing this week? And I said, oh, I got this guy who's got a deaf and blind dog. And he said, oh, I used to work with deaf blind people for one of my jobs. And I'm like, really? And he said, man, it's an eye opener. And so I said, okay, well, why? You know, like I've never, other than the Helen Keller stuff we all know, like you're not really exposed to it. And he said, I said, how did you communicate with him? And he said, well, we did hand on hand sign language. And so, you know, I kind of went down this rabbit hole looking at uh, that, but he said the difficult part was he's like, it's very, that's like a very intimate way to communicate with somebody who you don't know. And he said the pace sucked. So he said the turnover was high. So these people who have already have a really bad draw in life might get connected to somebody, communicate this way that's pretty intimate. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, they've got somebody else they have to learn with. And he said it was a, it was really rough. And man, I I started looking at like the deaf blind community and researching. And I'm telling you what, man, like, if you're sitting there and you're you're pissed off about life today, like what you got going on, whatever happened, whatever some idiot posted on Facebook or whatever, go look at how people who are deaf and blind were treated like up until about the 1970s. It's yeah. a freaking heartbreaker, man. They were they were essentially a society just essentially assumed you couldn't communicate with them. You know, and I'm I'm sure there were exceptions like but so they were just like left in isolation to themselves, like probably asylum level living. And it's like, it is just brutal, man. Yeah. I believe. It. Yeah. It's, it's, it makes you feel very, you don't have to, you don't have to dig too deep and you feel pretty freaking lucky. Um, right. But I was just curious if you had, if you had looked into that world at all or not. I mean, it's not really not, not a ton of parallels there other than, you know, the importance of touch and, you know, like you right. said, the long distance touch with the e-collar, but obviously humans aren't operating on the scent matrix that, uh, that a dog <laughs> is, you know, they, we don't, we can't rely on our nose that way. So they're, they're way worse off. Yeah. I, although I did just read an article about, uh, a lady, uh, a human lady this time, uh, her husband was a doctor, um, and, uh, he came home from work one day and she was like, Oh, you need to take a shower. And he was like, rude, whatever. So he goes and takes a shower. She's like, that didn't help. And she would give him crap for smelling bad for a long time. And, uh, essentially it boils down to, turns out he had, um, I want to say Parkinson's. I think it was Parkinson's disease in retrospect, like 20 years later, they find out that he's got Parkinson's disease. And she, I guess, like went to the clinic or something like that and was like, all of these people stink. And they figured out that she could smell Parkinson's disease before any test that we have could determine whether or not somebody had Parkinson's. In fact, 
the doctor that she was talking to initially, she talked to her husband's doctor and he was like, yeah, yeah, BS, whatever. You can smell it. And, uh, and then he read an article about dogs doing it. And he's like, oh, maybe there's something there. So he ran an experiment and he took clothes from people that had it and clothes from people at the office that didn't. And she was like 90 something percent accurate. And she picked one guy and said, this guy has Parkinson's disease. And he didn't that they knew of. Fast forward a couple of months later, and that guy tested positive. What? And she had smelled it before anybody knew he had it. So, and, and this has turned into a whole big thing where now, you know, I mean, they're, 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 they're doing all kinds of tests to try to figure out, you know, because it, it's great. You know, with the dog, the dog either does or does not tell you, you know, but you don't know what the dog is smelling. You don't know what it smells like. And so being able to talk to a person, like when I was reading this article, I was just fascinated because of the set work that I do with the dogs and being able to having the ability to talk to a person about what they're smelling and how they're smelling uh, would be incredible. Cause I can't ask my dog. Uh, Th- this woman, she had all of her other senses. Yeah. Yeah. She just, she just had... has like a, an incredible super sniffer. She was, yeah. I mean, able to detect, uh, and I, I'm trying to remember if she, if they, if they had her detect other illnesses as well, but, and I can't remember, but it was, it was such a cool story. Um, and yeah, I mean, she had all of her other senses, so man, it's it's even stranger. But you got to wonder. But she didn't know, like, yeah. for decades. I mean, her whole life, she didn't like. I don't think she, they they figured this out until she was maybe in her fifties or something. Um, went her whole life with this incredible sense of smell, and never knew that other people were different. You know, uh, and you think about like our experiences. Uh, I, I learned um, there's a thing called aphantasia um, where you don't see pictures in your head, right? I have aphantasia. I had no idea that I had aphantasia until I was 19 or 20. And I was talking to the girl I was dating at the time. And she was saying, uh, she was, we were reading uh, the same series of books. And she was like, I don't like the covers because they don't look like the characters in my head. And I was like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> She's like, the, the characters in my head, they don't look like the same. And I'm like, what are you, I, characters in your head? She's like, yeah. You know, like it's a movie in my head. And I was like, what? I, what? <laughs> I, I don't have a movie in my head. And we started talking and I realized even my memory, we were talking about, you know, uh, an incident where we were both uh, in her mom's house for Christmas and her stepdad came over and the dog came in the door. It was bounding around the room. And I remember the incident and I remember her dad coming in. I remember the dog. I remember where people were, but there's no video that plays in my head. I don't have a visual picture of that happening and she plays it like a video in her head and i was like i am getting seriously gypped like this is this is messed up like, <laughs> okay okay hold on hold on hold heads. on hold on so how do you when when that when you recall that that scene is it just like an idea that hits you that yeah. you know you have yeah like I can, I can spatially kind of understand like the Christmas tree was here and the door was there and her mom was over there and she was right there and the dog came in and went this way. And so there's a spatial understanding of the characters and the, in the environment, but I don't see a video. There's no picture in my head of this happening. Yeah. Right. And I didn't find that out until I was 20 and it was just, I happened to be talking to my girlfriend about something and it came up. And so if, if you're not talking to people about <laughs> how much something smells, right? How could you possibly know that your sense of smell is astronomically better than everybody else's, except for maybe your dogs? 
you know, um, it's, it's pretty amazing. Well, and not only that, I, I don't want to leave this. I got to, we got to explore this a little bit more. (laughs) Sorry. Um, I've never heard of this before. So you're reading Harry Potter and you, as you're going through there, you're reading about Voldemort and Harry and all the, the whole crew. You don't have anything in your head. Your brain is not constructing any pictures of what Harry looks like or Ron or the, nope, nope, nothing. Nope. Jesus Christ. Nothing. When I, when I read books, like there, there'll be strict descriptions. And so like, I know uh, in the wheel of time, which is actually what we had been reading um, uh, back, you know, 20 years ago when I found this out, um, the, the main character is named Rand and he's like six foot three and he has red hair and they talk about, you know, at one point this blue coat that he's wearing with gold embroidery. I do not see a picture of a person that's six foot three with red hair with a blue coat with gold embroidery. I just know that that was the description. Huh. <laughs> All right. It, it, it's it's really weird. And it, it like I mean, now that I talk to everybody else in the world, <laughs> it's weird. Before it was totally normal. <laughs> uh, now now I'm getting ripped off because I'm not seeing free movies in my head when there, I when I read books. There are things that you learn in life that change. That there's before and after moments. I will never be the same after this conversation because <laughs> I had no idea people are out there that did not have a similar thought process yeah. or like idea creation situation I have going on. Um, the, the lady who could smell Parkinson's and, and, and your point on, you know, she's, she's got something most people don't. Right. Right. And so you know how many people have that? Not just one, probably. Right. The odds are that there are more people out there. It's probably yeah, a genetic 7 thing. People. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably a genetic thing. Probably in a thousand years, doctors will be required to have that. They'll figure out a way to right. make that in a, a component. Because just think about it. I mean, it would be such a such a huge advancement. <laughs> well, and if you actually, and if you look previously in history at medicine, smell and taste was a huge part of diagnosing. Uh, that's why, um, you know, like diabetes is the, the way that they would test that was that you would pee in a cup. And they would, and they would taste it. Yeah. And if it's sweet, you've got diabetes. Yeah. Which, um, you know, started with just some, some dude with a weird kink <laughs> who is like, wait a minute, your pee smells yeah. a lot or your pee tastes a lot different than hers. Anyway, um, for sure. I mean, it, they, they just had, they had to work with what they had and we've, right. we've used technology. Technology has definitely dulled some of our, you know some of the ways we interact with the environment without question. Um, My GPS has ruined me. Oh, I know, dude. I know. It's amazing and it's terrible at the same time. I was thinking about that. I'm like, if if society blows up, I won't be able to, I won't know how to get anywhere. Uh, Right. And I used to have to use maps a lot. Um, The the lady who can smell Parkinson's and most people, there's a, there's a, a lot of space between, there's a lot of space between me and her. Let me put it that way. And then when you think about this this condition you have where you don't see pictures in your head, there's a lot of space between me and you there. Now, what, what, where I'm going with this is we, we look at dogs and we go, German shepherds are this, or border collies are this, or black labs are this, or British labs are this. And when you talk to good trainers, they do two things. They say, here's how you get a dog to heal. A, B, C, D. But you have to take into account 
uh, individual personality, temperament, age, socialization, all of yep. these, all of these genetic factors, all these things that exist in that one individual animal. And it makes yeah. you realize, like, it makes me think, like, what's the variance in these dogs now? Probably the yeah. same thing. There's probably a whole lot of space between one end and the other. Yeah. And, and that's one of my huge pet peeves with, uh, with the research that's done on dogs. Uh, the vast majority of the research I've done on dogs. There's some really good stuff that has huge end sizes, but for the most part, you know, my, my little sister um, got her degree in biology and specifically studied animal behavior. And she would yell at me all the time. She's like, Oh, you're, you know, if your dog makes a mess while you're gone and you come home, the dog doesn't associate the mess, like them making the mess with the mess being there. And then you being mad about the mess. So you can't, get mad at your dog for a mess that they made three hours ago. And I was like, no, no, that's BS. Look, I've got two dogs. All right. They're both German shepherds. Saul is a great dog. He's very handsome. He's probably smart for a dog. Uh, really easy to train. Uh, super friendly, great dog, very affable. And then there's Starbuck who is my white German shepherd, who according to many German shepherd owners is complete garbage because she's white. Um, she's smarter than most German shepherd owners. All right. Um, and so one day I came home and I opened the door and she wasn't at the door. And I was like, well, that's weird. Cause my sister told me that when the dog, you come home and you're mad because they, they peed on the floor or they got into the garbage or whatever. And the dog sees that you're angry and they, and they, and they, and they sense that by your posture and you're yelling. And that's why they offer you these submissive behaviors because they're trying to placate you. And that all makes sense. Except I come home, I open the door and I had a bag of flour that had been on the counter and Starbuck at some point got up on the counter, bit into the bag of flour, decided it tastes like garbage and spat it out on the floor and left it. There was just a bag sitting on the floor. I didn't even realize it when I first walked in. I walked in and Starbucks was at the door. And I was like, this is like, I, I, you know, I took a couple steps in. And I was like, something's wrong. What's different? Where's my dog? Right. And then right after I had that thought, before I could say anything, I haven't made a noise. I haven't vocalized anything. I just opened the door and walked in. And I saw that and I was like, oh, oh, she knows she made a mess. She was doing something she was, wasn't supposed to do. And so I pulled out my phone and I put her on video mode and I reached it around the corner. So she still has not seen me. I haven't said a word and I reached around the corner and there's Starbuck standing in the corner of the living room, kind of crouched down like, Oh, I shouldn't have done. I'm in trouble for doing the thing. And then I walk and then I move around the corner. She sees my head and she's, and she, you know, shrinks down a little bit more, but she absolutely knew that something was going on there. And so I was like, all right, but she, my sister keeps quoting this, this science, this article that she read. And so I looked it up because I'm a university student and I have access to that stuff. So I pull up, you know, Google scholar and I got access to the journal and I got, and I, and I found that study and I looked at it and the end size was like 20 dogs. And I'm like, you, you cannot make generalizations to these 70 million dogs in America, let alone the however many there are in the world, based off of 20 dogs, right? You can't. So with 20 dogs, start, you, you could have, I mean, who knows where they fall in the spectrum of, of intelligence? What dogs were they? Were they dogs that they found at the kennel? 
Like, or, or you know, do they pull them out of the kennel? Are these, you know, the the uh, the beagles that they use for scientific testing that are bred specifically for that and probably aren't bred for smarts? Yep. Or are they th- these people's pets? We don't know, right? And and so their their sampling method was terrible, and their size was terrible. And I get it. A lot of that has to do with funding, right? I mean, I have. X amount of money to run the study and I have access to my dog and 19 of my friend's dogs. So I'm going to do the study, but for people to turn around and accept that all dogs are this way, because this scientific study said this is very problematic. Right. And so when I say, well, my dog is not like that. Saul is like that. I'll open up the door and there's garbage everywhere. And Saul's like, hi human. I'm so happy to see you. Yep. And then I'm like, bro, and he's like, oh, shit. And then he, like, you know, takes off to his crate or whatever. But there's no, like, he doesn't get it. He absolutely falls into that category that those 20 other dogs that they studied fell into. Starbucks does not. Yep. She is on a different level. Well, And we're not taking that into account in, in these studies. So, yeah, I'm sorry. That was a little. No, dude, off, I totally agree. And it not only <laughs> does it not take into account individual dog intellect, it doesn't take into account communication abilities. And yeah. you, we know that. I mean, the crowd listening to this knows very well if you the the difference between let's say you go quail hunting or pheasant hunting with a two year old dog, which is awesome, mm-hmm. or you've hunted hard for six seven years with a dog, like the the communication level has leveled up. Like it just yeah. there's just a difference there because you've worked together on some cool stuff that you're both passionate about and you've trained together, and so the communication is on a different plane. And when you think about like, what, what is that dog doing that is saying, I'm sorry, boss. Like I, you know, that we, that we attribute to that look of guilt. Like that dog knows, I I believe, I fully believe you. Like I'm, I'm on your side. Like they know that some of those dogs know they did something wrong. They just know, and they know how to communicate it to us. Some dogs maybe operating on a lower wavelength. They don't know. They might not care. Or they might right. not be able to communicate it. You know, they, they might not know how to say that. And like, to your point, I, I talk about my little girls all the time. They're twins. I have one. She's she's like one of your dogs. And I have one twin that's like the other one of your dogs where the <laughs> one could could set the house on fire and she'd give you a hug in the driveway and just explain <laughs> it away. Like, well, it's just, you know, like she wouldn't feel any guilt. She'd just be like, I right. was playing with some matches and, you know, wasn't really my fault, you know. Her, my sister turned on the TV and I forgot about the fire I had burning in the kitchen, you know, and the other <laughs> right. one would be like, oh my God, dad, I'm so sorry. You know, like, yeah, same environment, same socialization on those, but different, different uh, responses to certain things. <laughs> That's funny. It's, it's sometimes funny. Sometimes it's yeah, not. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I feel that. Yeah, sometimes it's funny. Uh, buddy, man, this has been so fun, Christian. I always enjoy yeah. having you on the podcast. Um, where can people find Canines for Conservation out there? So we're on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, it's uh, Canines for Conservation, um, all one word. It's the letter K, the number nine, the letter S, the number four, conservation. Uh, and the, the same Canis for Conservation, uh, dot org. So www.canisforconservation.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Sporting Dog Talk. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and our YouTube channel. And of course, if you liked what you heard on this episode, please, please, please subscribe. 
That helps us out so much when we get to see the support from our audience. And lastly, thanks for listening.